little technical difficulty, Doreen tells me. So let me see. I may have to call up. Uh, we'll just do it all manually. There we go. Woo. Okay. Oh, me. We're going to open that up. And we're going to go right here. And, Lord, we thank you for technology, and we thank you, Lord, that we are not bound by it. Lord, we can use it. There we go. And we thank you, Lord, the clicker worked. <laughs> so, Lord, just now we do ask you to help our hearts to understand what you would have us learn from this portion of your word. Lord, let us not miss a thing out of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, today is a look at uh, uh, syncretism. You might think, well, what is syncretism? I don't want to learn about any kind of ism. But what is syncretism? Syncretism is something that goes on all the time, all around us, and often within us. We're going to talk about that today. And Wednesday night, we looked at Judges chapter 17, and we saw we were introduced to this guy named Micah, who were just introduced to him right in the, in the middle of the story of Judges. It comes sort of to a weird end. And this is kind of an appendix that's on the book of Judges. We don't know exactly when it happened. But we see this guy, Micah, described. He had this house. He stole money from his mother. It was 1,100 shekels. If you were here on Wednesday night, he, he ripped off his mom. His mom then curses by the gods, whoever, by the God Jehovah, whoever took the money. He hears her, gives her back the money. She says, great, I intended it for idols anyway. I mean, this is how weird this gets. And then she gives only 200 shekels over to the, I guess, the idol maker who begins to carve them and make them. Micah sets these up in his house, and he has these idols in his house, and then he decides, well, I think I'm going to appoint my son as a priest. So he makes his son a priest. He creates this thing called an ephod that's a priestly robe. But this is all contrary to what God had said in his word. And then along comes a Levite. The Levite was wandering through the land who wasn't off doing what he was supposed to do, and Micah goes, you know what? It'd be a good idea to have a Levite because then I would have kind of a semblance of doing the things that God wants done, kind of a fake Band-Aid on everything. And so where we take up today, and we talked about that on, on Wednesday about how that became what was normal in these individuals' life. They had mixed the religion of their pagan neighbors with their own true religion or their own true faith, and that is what syncretism is. It's when we mix the things of God with things that are really not anything about God and we make them part of our faith creed. I am not picking on our neighbors that came, our Amish neighbors, but Wednesday I entered into a discussion with someone, and that's a great example. Some of the Amish, just as we do as Baptists or as any other denominations, will take something and make it part of our faith, and it's really not. I remember speaking to a to one of the dads when he was here saying, you know, my kids only go through eighth grade. And I said, well, what if God wanted one of your kids to be a doctor. And he said, well, I don't think God would want one of my kids to be a doctor. And you begin to mix your culture of maybe not respecting higher education with what's a religion. And then I learned that one of them was in trouble because he wasn't speaking enough German. He was going to get thrown out of the church. So do you see what I'm saying? That's beginning to mix up culture. And we can nod our heads about how horrible they are. And they're not horrible. They're well-intentioned, mostly believers. But they've mixed things in that are cultural and are not found in the Word of God. And that is when it gets very, very dangerous. And we're going to look at how Micah did that and then how Israel did that 
and then a warning to us, both a warning and a comfort, how we can avoid that. So we look at Micah's idolatry spreading, and we're going to have to go and do this by hand, and that's okay. So that's a picture of what was going on. This is them coming now to steal. We're going to read about how these folks come up from the from the tribe of Dan, and they're looking at getting more land, and they find out about these idols there, and they know better, but they figure, well, they get first, uh, they have success in their journey. They're looking for more land, and they had asked this Levite, let's just call him the phony priest, to pray for them or to bless them. He does, and then they look at him kind of like a fortune teller and want to come back and get him to take him with them when they go into battle. So that's just a little... Uh, picture of what's going to happen when they're taking these idols out of Micah's house. So what is syncretism? As I said, it's blending of truth with falsehood. That's what it is, syncretism, mixing it all up, an amalgamation. It's mixing this, the unpure with the pure. It's mixing the unadulterated Word of God with, I would just say, nonsense, things that are not part of God's Word. It's when truth gets mixed up with falsehood. I use the word a lot, orthodox. And what that means, y'all, is it means straight thinking or straight teaching, okay? And, and it's when the, the straight, proper teaching of the Bible gets mixed up with the non-proper teaching of the Bible and all of the add-ons. What's an example of this, a little example of syncretism? The Word tells us very clearly that, that it says that in John three sixteen that whosoever believeth on him, shall not perish but have everlasting but God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life okay and it doesn't say anything in there about church membership doesn't mean you have to be a voting member you've got to do the clicker on Sunday mornings you got to sing in the choir you need to be on the cradle roll none of that those are all add-ons that get added on to what gets you to heaven and that is Jesus and him alone that's just an example, a real blatant example of syncretism. Tra traditions of man, thank you. Worship of the one true God became mixed with the pagan practices of the neighbor, neighbors. So we must guard to keep our faith biblical, with un unpolluted by the values and the practices of the world or some other non-orthodox belief system. We're going to just have to go right here and do it. So what are church pitfalls of syncretism? Churches try sometimes to fit in with the world. We're going to talk about all this before we get to the actual text because then I'm going to read almost the whole chapter in its entirety. Sometimes pastors see attendees as customers, don't they? I think I've even heard them talk about that. We have so many, not, not customers, they use another word, consumers or you are not consumers. You are sheep. You are the children of the Lord in here gathered, as he's told us to do, to gather together and to share his word and to be together. You're not customers. And often I think pastors will go out and they're promoting, they're really trying to get more customers instead of trying to do what it is that God would have them do right where they are. All right? That's syncretism. That's when the pastor's involved. You also have... Uh, have syncretism when there is a lack of attention to the Bible. There are many congregations out there that teach prosperity, self-help, kind of like Napoleon Hill's, you know, think and grow rich. That may be a fun idea, but that's not the gospel. Amen? And so that's promoted because people want to hear about how to think and grow rich, right? And so these, these pastors, 
if you want to call them pastors, promote this kind of thinking that may be positive thinking, but it's nothing about studying God's Word and figuring out how to apply it to our lives. Also, leftism, socialism, and do-goodism. There's, there's sectors of the body of Christ now that have replaced the gospel with Marxist theology, if you want to call it theology. Marxist ideology, okay? Taking from this group to give to that group. Socialism as though it's the gospel and do-goodism. I just made that word up. Do-goodism, whatever that entails, won't get you to heaven. And the other thing is it's not the gospel and it's not something that should be taught in the church. Amen? We're here to learn God's word. That's the only thing that's going to sustain us. And when I'm dead and gone, it won't be what Pastor Faber said about this, this, or that. It's going to be, what does God's word say about this issue that I'm encountering in my life? That's all that's going to matter. Before we had a worship leader, before uh, Scott came, and he, a guy named Larry Waddell. Many of y'all knew Larry. Larry was a country singer from over in Bernardo. And, and Larry loved to tell the story. He, he, I would come, how are you doing today? He said, man, I just feel like I need a boost. What do you need, Larry? I want to paint the ceiling black, put in black lights and a smoke machine, get a spotlight put on me. And, and what Larry was talking about, he had been in a church before where the 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 worship leader began to not see the the crowd, to see the congregation as sheep who he was to lead to worship, but he saw them as fans, okay? You know, God forbid that Scott would ever look at you all as fans, and I know he doesn't, and neither did Larry, but his fans, and this guy wanted the fame, and he did have the inside of the sanctuary painted black, and he installed a smoke machine. He did, and then he had spotlights put on him. Larry told me all about it, and I said, well, how did it all end? He said, we finally got relief when he ran off with a woman in the church. <laughs> I mean, that's where the guy's heart was. It was all about him and not about the Lord. That is syncretism in the highest form. So anyway, I text, uh, emailed Larry today and told him I was going to talk about that. So what did Micah, and Micah means who is like God. That's actually what Michael means. And it's, this is kind of an irony because we're going to say the writer puts this, who is, the, who is like God, this guy who is like God, who does nothing like God would do. He's the guy that sets up these, he steals from his mom, you know, lies about it, puts idols in the house, goes and makes his son a priest. He's a big phony, okay? As I said, he created an ephod and his son. And then he made a business deal to hire a Levite who came by, as I said, to maintain a semblance of true worship. One piece of scripture that helps us to not let pieces of non-orthodoxy, if that's the word, or of the wrong thing get involved in our faith is this by Paul. He said, as, he said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. When something begins to sneak in, it sort of is like a little leaven. And you that are bakers, if you put a little bit of leaven in a little bit of flour, what happens? You wait a while and the whole thing, it'll blow up in the oven probably, you know, becomes this huge thing. And that's how it is with things that are apostasy and that are bad teaching. A little bit will come in. That's one reason where Larry and I, as the spiritual guardians of this place, uh, if we study anything in here, a book study or anything, Larry and I have to look at it because that's part of our job is to be overseers, to make sure that that spiritual truth is the thing that's taught here and that orthodoxy remains and that a little bit of leaven doesn't come in. And the next thing we know, we've got a how to think and grow rich Sunday school class. What'd you say? But black lights and smoke machines. Absolutely. 
A matter of fact, someone who's now attending here had contacted me or I contacted them on Facebook. They said, I'm in the area and I'm looking for a church. And I said, well, don't come to ours looking for, for black lights and a smoke machine. We don't have that. She goes, well, that's a relief to me. So people are out there looking for truth, okay? Uh, Juan Carlos and Kristen, who are not here today, they're off visiting, told me last week what attracted us to this little church more than anything is y'all were not trying to outworld the world. She said everywhere else we went, they were trying to look so much like the world to make everybody so comfortable that we didn't even feel like we were in a church. So as for Union Grove, as long as I'm here, we're going to study God's Word, and we're going to keep on doing what we're doing. Amen. All right? Amen. And no, no black lights and smoke machine. Another thing is to remember that there is no substitute for the power that comes to the study and the application of God's Word, Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12, I don't know if I have it here, but I'll recite it to remind us says that the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces between the division of the soul and the spirit as much as between the joints and the marrow. And it is a critic of the thoughts and intents of our heart. That means as you come and you study God's Word, it is, as I say, downloaded into you like software. And it comes in and God's Word remains in me, it remains in you as we learn God's Word and know what God's character is, His essence is. And it's like a filtering system that filters the thoughts and intents of mine own heart. So when my, my thinking gets wacky, the Holy Spirit tells you, thinking's wacky. And I have to have the antivirus come. It's not the Norton antivirus, but it's the Holy Spirit virus. Say, Lord, take these thoughts out of me. Take this thinking away from me. Lord, let me get back where I'm just centered on your word and your will for my life. Amen. So the Danites, we're, let's uh, open now to Judges 18, 1 through 6. And I'm changing it a little today to read it off of a sheet where it'll be easier for me. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Wow. We keep hearing that over and over. That means there was no rule of law in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. So the children of Dan sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtaol, to spy out the land and search it. And they said to them, go, search the land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And they lodged there. So they end up in this guy Micah's house. And while they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. This is the priest that I told you about that Micah had hired. And they turned and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What do you have here? And he said, well, thus and so Micah did for me. He hired me and I've become his priest. So they said to him, and I don't want to point, they were not bothered at all by all these idols around, and they knew better, okay? So they said to him, please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The presence of the Lord will be with you on your way. This is a priest who was serving gold idols and carved statues in Micah's house, telling them that the Lord will be with you. Go on your way. Do you all see the syncretism? It's all mixed and jumbled up. So they recognize this voice. They're unconcerned about the unorthodox practices going on in the home. What they were using this priest for was like some sort of a fortune teller. Kind of like, oh, yeah, he's, he's kind of a semblance of the right thing. He's a Levite, and we recognize his accent or somehow. So 
hey, would you just bless us on our way? Yeah, yeah, I'll bless you. And so they do that. And then what's happening is we're told that they're on their way looking for more land. I pulled this down so you could get a visual of what's going on. This is the original land that was given to Dan, okay? See it right here? What was going on is five spies were coming out to go up and look for a place where there would be more land. And you'll notice where they end up, up here, in this little place called Laish, okay, that ends up being Dan. It's the very, very top of Israel even today, up near Banias, which is uh, Caesarea Philippi, you know, where Jesus went up on the mountain and all that. So let's continue on then on, on, uh, on with seven. So the five men departed and went to Laish. You just saw it up there. They saw the people were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians and they had no ties with anyone. So they're out there and they're isolated. Then the spies came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtaol, and their brethren said, what's the report? So they said, arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and indeed it is very good. Would you do nothing? And then they say, do not hesitate, enter and possess the land. And when you go, you will come to a secure people and a large land, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. And I can tell you, and those in here who have gone to Israel, Mike, I know you and Audrey have, did you go up to Dan, up to Dan near Caesarea Philippi? It is the, it is the garden spot of Israel, big rivers and creeks and rushing mountain streams and cool and woods. I mean, it's, it is where I would want to live if I lived in Israel. And 600 men of the family of the Danites went from there, from Zorah and Eshtal, armed with weapons of war. Then they went up and encamped in kirjath Jerarim in Judah. Therefore, they called the place Mahane Dan to this day. There it is, west of kirjath Jerarim. And they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. So they end up coming to the house of Micah. They've formulated that, that these people are up there, they have no one to rescue them, and that they feel like they can go in and take them. And so they formulate an attack with 600 Danite soldiers. Verse 14, then the five men who had gone to spy out the country of Laish answered and said to their brethren, listen to this now, do you know there are in these houses an ephod, household idols, a carved image, and a molded image? Now, therefore, consider what you should do. He said, think about what you're doing, guys. You're going up there. There's a house there full of idols, and they're good idols. And we used them, and we used that fake priest, and we went up, and look at all this fortune that has come our way. So they turned aside there, and they came to the house of the young Levite man, the house of Micah, and they greeted him. The 600 men armed with their weapons of war who were the children of Dan stood by the entrance of the gate. So there's 600 guys outside of Micah's house. The priest is in there and he's looking like, ooh, there's a whole bunch of people here. Then the five men who had gone to spy out the land entered there and took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. And the priest stood at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men who were armed with weapons of war. So... 
the priest doesn't put up a fight, I can't blame him. There's 600 guys out at the front gate. But it's kind of interesting. We're going to even see how corrupt this so-called priest was. As we read a bit more, Judges 18, 18 through 26. When these went into Micah's house, and we're going to read all this to get a feel for syncretism, and then I'm going to wrap it up and kind of tell you how I believe that it applies to us. When these went into Micah's house, they took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, the molded image, and the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said, shh, put your hand over your mouth and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be a priest to the household of one man or that you be a priest to a tribe and the family in Israel? So the priest's heart was glad, and he, took, and he took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and took his place among the people. He says, I am out of here. Then they turned and departed and put the little ones, the livestock, and the goods in front of them. They took everything. And when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men who were in the house near Micah gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they called out to the children of Dan. So they turned around and said to Micah, what ails you? that you have gathered such a company. So he said, you have taken away my gods, which I made, (laughs) my gods, which I had made. Boy, you've taken away my gods, which I made. You know, the worst gods we can have are the gods that we make. They are of no use to us. Amen. The gods, which I made, you took them and you took my priest and you have gone away. Now, what more do I have? How can you say to me, what ails you? And the children of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us. They said, shut up, lest angry men fall upon you and you lose your life. What they're saying is, you better shut up or we're going to kill you and the lives of your household. And then the children of Dan went their way. And when Micah, we can predict what's going to happen. When he saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. So he gives up and I don't blame him because he's outnumbered. So they took the things that Micah had made and the priest who had belonged to him, and they went to Laish, to the people quiet and secure, and they struck them with the edge of the sword, and they burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon. This kind of reminds us how vulnerable we are when we get out away from where we're supposed to be. And so they rebuilt the city, and they dwelt there, and they called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their father, who was born to Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. Then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image. So they took these household idols, and what I'm trying to show you is how the syncretism that went on in one little guy's house ends up spreading to all the people. And they set up for themselves carved images. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, And his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. And I'm going to hold 31 for a second. Jewish scholars believe that Manasseh, who's mentioned here, or Manasseh, is really Moses. And that this was Moses' grandson. And to save Moses from the shame of what his own grandson did, they hid his name by calling it Manasseh. So I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I had read in some of the things that I'd read in preparation for the sermon. And listen to 31. This is kind of where I want to dwell in what the Holy Spirit drew me to as I studied. So they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which Micah had made, which he had made, 
And listen what the writer says. And all the time, the house of God was in Shiloh. Lord, help us to understand that you have something for us going on all the time while we are distracted by the idols which we might create, by the distractions just like the idols in Micah's house. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All the time, all that time, the house of God was in Shiloh. As I thought about this week, I began to think about this last sentence. It's what jumped out at me. Came into Sandy even, and I said, this is what's on my heart. During the conquest, remember Israel worshiped for seven years in Gilgal. We talked about they kept going back to Gilgal to search what the will of the Lord was. And and you remember in the story we just read, there's no mention of the will of the Lord, is there, in conquering those people. There's no mention of being directed by the Spirit of God to do anything. There's no mention even that God gave that land into their hands, which they're going to lose in a few short years from this anyway. And then after that, God prescribed a way for Israel. And think of prescribed as a prescription from the doctor. God prescribed a way for Israel to worship in Shiloh for 369 years. God said, I want you to worship over in Shiloh. He wanted them to be together for a reason. He wanted them to come to there for a purpose. And even more interestingly, we're going to do a deep dive now into this word Shiloh. And we're told in Joshua 18, then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and they set up the tent of meeting there. That's the tabernacle, John, we were talking about during uh, Bible study this morning. This tent of the meeting that God made where it had a holy of holies in it. It had the Ark of the Covenant in it. It had articles of their faith that were cairns of their faith that God had placed in the tabernacle, and the land lay subdued before them. So why Shiloh? I just wanted to talk about Shiloh because for me, Shiloh, what it means, and this is what one of my seminary professors told me, I said, Dr. Wicker, what does Shiloh mean exactly? And he sent me a long, detailed Hebrew explanation, and basically he said, unto him to whom it belongs. Unto him to whom it belongs. What is he talking about? Do you remember when Jacob was blessing his sons? I don't even have that in here. Okay. Yeah. When Jacob was, thank you, dear. When, when Jacob was blessing his sons, he comes to this unlikely character, Judah. Judah has been a picture of everything horrible. Judah had had sex with his daughter-in-law, okay, after he cheated her and did all these things. And God uses Judah, and God speaks a prophecy over Judah from Jacob, and he says, he talks about Judah being a lion, okay, and that's where we get the term the lion of Judah, and he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. For for thousands of years, scholars tried to figure out what is Shiloh? The real question is, who is Shiloh? Who is Shiloh? Who is him to whom the scepter belongs? Who is going to rule, be king of kings and lord of lords? It's Jesus, all right? So what we can read in this text is all the while that they were making their own gods in their own way, in their own forms of worship, all the time Jesus had the real thing for them over in Shiloh. Isn't that a picture of what can go on in our lives? 
all the time that God has Jesus there for us to be our shallow, we're off being attracted to the things that we ought not to be attracted to, distracted from Shiloh and the things of God that we need to be attracted to. So who is he to whom it belongs? And this morning, I want to tell you, it's Jesus. How fitting it was that God prescribed the place of worship to be named this very name. This is not chance. There is no coincidence in the things of God. Amen? Shiloh is still where we find our spiritual rest. Jesus is our Shiloh. The writer of Hebrews, and we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, and I'm debating going to Hebrews instead of, at this point, Philippians, says this. He says the clicker doesn't work. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. What is our rest? Where do we find our rest in the midst of the restlessness of the world? For he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. Jesus did it all. That's what that's saying. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Therefore, let us be diligent. Okay, that means we got to work at being in rest. Why do we have to work at being at rest? What does our human nature want to do? It wants to worry about everything, doesn't it, Lynn? We want to worry everything absolutely to death. And we got plenty that if we wanted to, to worry about going on over in Eastern Europe this morning, right? But the Word of God says that He is our rest, and we must be diligent to enter that rest. We work at it, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Now, how do we work at it? This writer beautifully tells us right where the answers are right after the rest. For the Word of God, read with me, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We enter into his rest, guys, when we feast on God's Word. We enter into his rest when we meet at this place. You go, well, what does this place have to do with it? The Bible is very clear that we are not to forsake the gathering together. We are instructed to gather together. We are not instructed to sit in front of a TV. We are not instructed to do church online. I, I know people that are still saying, you know, I got so used to going to church online. They didn't go anywhere. They turned on the computer. Yeah, I, I'm going to church online now. You're not going anywhere. You're in your underwear and you're walking to the kitchen. <laughs> listening to some preacher. All right, that is not going to church. That is not Shiloh. Why is it that we have to come together? Why do we not forsake the gathering together? Give me, before I flip the slide, someone tell me. Because he tells us not to forsake it. That's why it's obedience. Because he says to do it, okay? We are instructed to come to church. That's why. And we do this, I think, because we are to encourage each other. We're to strengthen one another. We're to exhort one another. And we're to get along. And that doesn't mean, hey, you get along. I'm staying here. We have personalities that rub on one another. And God knows that, and he uses that for good. He uses it to get some of the sharp edges off of us and to get some of the 
sharp edges off of you, me and you, okay? That's why we come together. You're not going to be in Shiloh sitting in front of your TV set watching Jim Jones. I'm just going to pull some name out of, out of the hat, all right? You're not going to get there that way. That is not Shiloh. That's not part of the rest that he wants for you. It's okay, and I'm not just picking on people that are doing church online, but that's just what came into my mind today. This is syncretism. It's how we take a truth of God's Word, and we bend it to meet our needs, okay? Uh, it's not, you know, I know that when, when COVID first came out, we canceled services for six weeks. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't Ebola or something where we would all come in here and then fall over dead three days later. We'd be in the news for the next thousand years, you know? But, but online church is not what God prescribes. And as to what we study, what did Hebrews 4.12, there's no substitute to the power of God's Word. There's nothing I can say to you or to myself that's anything compared to what God has to say to us. Because His Word, Rita, you just popped into my face, is alive and powerful. His Word is alive and powerful. It is living Word. It is Logos. It goes within you, it energizes you, it empowers you, it cleanses you, it washes you, Jeff. It, it helps you to direct you to be all that you're meant to be. It's, it forgives you, it washes you clean, you stand before the Father, and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit that comforts you and directs you to live the life you're to live. Amen? We're up here preaching. And this is all the Lord, y'all, because when I woke up, Sandy can tell you, I couldn't even stand my back hurt so bad. And so God is so good to still help me through all of this. Guys, we belong here, and we should be engaged in doing exactly what we're doing this morning, engaged in the study of His Word and engaged in the application of this Word. And I'm going to propose to you today, there is no substitute for physically attending a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing, Bible-applying church. There's no substitute to it. There really isn't. That's what you got to have if you're going to be a Christ follower or a believer and walk according to his will for your life. You got to know the word. Knowing God's word is the very best way to avoid syncretism. This way, when some kind of crazy, I want to call it alter theology comes along, like leftism or socialism or any other kind of ism that comes along, comes along, you realize this does, doesn't fit into what I'm reading in my Bible, all right? The Bible is clean. The gospel is clear. Jesus died. He died for you and me. We're all sinners, okay? He was, he was buried. He rose again from the dead, okay? And then when he, we believe in him, we are promised eternal life. And not only that, we're promised a life here on this earth that's worth living. Because to live your life out according to your flesh, that's no, no way to live. That's what every dog out here does. It just pursues its flesh. So I guess the word for y'all today, it's encouraging that we have a way to gauge what is not right, what's not orthodox. We have a way. We don't have to sit and wonder. We just read the Bible and we look at, Lord, show us how to apply it to our lives in this church. So that's my word for today is syncretism happens a little step at a time. It first starts off with an individual, then it'll spread to a group. And pretty soon the whole group is just a bunch of sheeple instead of sheep, okay? Eating up, you know, how to, 10 ways to get rich or, or just, just all this nonsense. And what we really need to do is we need to say, Lord, I want to walk in your way. Show me how to do that. So I'm going to ask 
my sweet brother, Scott, to lead us in how great is our God and to also uh, lead us in prayer.